Hey everyone and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and uh, we're back with um, an episode that I feel is an important conversation to have, and uh, it's something that I feel a lot of you listening to this episode actually have either gone through or are possibly going through right now, and that is the question of what to eat, all right? And my guest today is Marnie Wasserman. Uh, Marnie is a longtime friend and colleague. Uh, she's the host of the Ultimate Health Podcast. She's an author. She is a, a chef, a cook, um, and had a wonderful cooking studio, which we do cover in this episode. But the reason why I have Marnie on the show today is to discuss her journey uh, with food. I think what uh, Marnie has gone through is really what a lot of us um, have gone through as well or will go through or um, are currently experiencing. And that is, um, you know, we lock onto this idea of what is the correct way to eat and we form an ideological, um, you know, opinion base and framework around that. And then we go down that road. And at some point in the future, we realize that um, health concerns crop up, health issues crop up. We... Um, are not feeling well and perhaps we even get sick with diagnosed diseases and so on and uh, this is actually what happened to Marnie and she um, just to give you the sort of highlights of this episode um, essentially wrote a book on plant-based eating and plant-based cooking was vegetarian for a long time um, really taught people how to be uh, vegan and vegetarian and plant-based only um, and really authored a book and built her whole business around that and uh, came down with some health issues uh, as she started getting a little older and essentially had to revisit uh, some of the ideas and belief systems around um, the way that she was eating and subsequently uh, switched to a paleo diet and is now seeing significant improvements in our health. And so the conversation on today's episode really revolves around some of the issues that plug into uh, what I've just covered. And this is, you know, um, eating opinions versus eating what's right for us. Uh, we sort of talk about wrestling ethics with your own health because that's a, a, an issue that I'm very sensitive to. And, um, you know, I know a, a lot of people that's front and center. Um, but, you know, we also talk about um, how to sort of reconcile all of this, right? And I think what I think you'll find interesting is how we sort of like get inside the mindset of someone who not just bought into this idea that veganism was the way to go, but also built a whole business and a whole persona around that and then had to sort of tear that down and rebuild. And so, you know, I'm, I want to just say this out front, like, um, you know, obviously we have our own opinions on veganism and paleo and keto and all that stuff. But what I want you to take away from this episode is really question, um, if you have health issues, and you're eating a certain way, it could be a healthy way of eating, quote unquote. Um, you know, maybe you're eating paleo and you're super strict and it's not working for you. Maybe you're eating keto and it's not working for you or vegan or whatever. So whatever you're doing, if it's not working for you, um, I think that what I would hope for you to do after listening to this episode is really sit down and revisit what you're doing and rethink what you're doing, no matter where you're at in this journey. Right, whether you've built a business around this, whether you have a blog that just talks about it 
um, whatever where you eat and live. Um, and it's a hard conversation to have, to be honest, because when you take a look out there, what you'll see is the world of nutrition and health has actually become so polarized, right? And I hope that this episode uh, at least tries to reconcile some of those differences and pull us back to a place of humility, uh, back to a place of really taking a frank look at these things without so much judgment and without so much um, vindiction and self-righteousness because at the end of the day it's food and at the end of the day we all got to eat you know so I think that's about it for me. Um, I actually really enjoyed sitting down, uh, talking with Marnie, and we definitely got into some other areas that I wasn't expecting to get into, which, uh, you know, was a pleasant surprise. And uh, for those of you who are listening, who are perhaps nutritionists or in the health and wellness space, um, I think you'll also get some good tips on Marnie's journey into how she got into all of this and uh, some of the sort of businesses that she's been involved in. All right, so that's it from my side. And as always, if you do enjoy today's show, please consider uh, subscribing, sharing, leaving us a review, basically doing anything that you can do to help me bring you more awesome guests like Marnie. So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. And here is Marnie Wasserman. Hey, Marnie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so I wanted to hop into this, you know, before we actually get on to the, um, the, the, the subject of the day, uh, I wanted to sort of ask you a couple of questions with regards to how you got into all of this. Like, do you, you know, cause I know a little bit of your story, but I don't know the full story. I mean, did you, were you sick at all or what sort of prompted you to get into holistic nutrition? I've just always loved health and healthy eating, the body. I had a background in kinesiology, personal training. And before I went to the Institute of Holistic Nutrition, I did dietetics, which was really good because it showed me what I didn't want to do. So that pushed me even further into holistic nutrition. So through all that, I just started to become really passionate about food and eating. And I went to culinary school and then I started my cooking classes, which was what I did for 10 years and I loved it. And from there, I morphed into the podcasting online space. So it's been an evolution over the years and it's been Mm -hmm. all around the subject of health, but I didn't really have a health challenge until a couple of years ago. Yeah. No, I, I'm just going to pause you there um, because we're definitely, I, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but I actually just want to pause because um, I don't want to downplay what you've done, right? So um, perhaps you can just explain to people, you know, when you say cooking classes, you didn't really just do cooking classes. I mean, you actually had like a really, really awesome uh, cooking studio and, and I've been there. It was a beautiful space. So were you there for the full 10 years while you like while you were doing the classes or how did that work? It actually started in my parents' home. I was very lucky to have parents who were very open-minded and let me start my business there right after I went to culinary school. I was like, I want to do cooking classes. This is my calling. They had a beautiful open concept kitchen and I was able to start my business really easily in their home. So I did that for six years and it just started to grow. And at the time I was vegetarian. I was really passionate about plant-based eating. I wanted to get that message out there and I kept it very open-minded. Anyone was welcome to my classes, no matter what you ate. It was all about health and 
simple cooking and finding better foods and being able to meal prep at home. So it was it was great and the trend caught on and I had the opportunity to grow that. And that's when I opened my food studio, which was six years later. I was like, okay, I, I need to do more of this. I need to get out in the community. I need to welcome other people into my space. I want to do retreats. I want to be somewhere central where anyone can access me. So I opened up this beautiful food studio, which was just a home style kitchen in a second level spot in Midtown Toronto where I could do exactly what I love doing. Mm -hmm. And that carried on for four more years, which was great. And I, you know, I had the opportunity to expand and grow the way I wanted to. But with that came the challenges of owning a business and the overhead and the time and the resources, the utilities, the staff. So it was kind of, it was growing, but at the same time, I was starting to, you know, pull back. I was like, this is not the way I want to see my life go. And, Mm -hmm. and that's when I kind of was starting to look at other things, but it was amazing. It was an amazing journey and an amazing experience. So did you find when you first started getting into it, uh, were there not a lot of people doing what you were doing in terms of, you know, cooking classes and and having that sort of space? There was a few people, like I had a couple of early inspirations. There was people around the city like Ricky Heller and Caroline DuPont. There's people doing cooking classes in their home or the big carrot I would go to. And I just loved the idea of these healthy cooking classes, but I felt like there wasn't something that was... Um, that really welcomed everybody. Like I felt like some of them were vegetarian or they were focused on a specific theme. I really wanted to keep this as light and easy for anybody and, and also be able to show people that they could come to a cooking class, learn something and then take it back home and not just be so intimidated. So that was my whole approach. And not to say that those other classes didn't do that. They did. And that's what inspired me, but I wanted to do more of that. And I really wanted to see this grow into something bigger and, I just, I just loved it. I loved teaching and I loved eating. So it was just the perfect marriage of all my passions. Nice. Yeah. And I know, you know, it became wildly popular and I totally understand the challenges of, of running a, a brick and mortar um, business. You know I mean? You're essentially married to it uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So I, c- I can totally understand why you try to, why you did uh, break out of that. So, um, Okay, so you touched on this briefly. I mean, your because you you wrote a book as well on plant based eating. Is that right? I did. I wrote plant based diet for dummies and fermenting for dummies. Right. So, so I would imagine. Correct me if I'm wrong. I would imagine that the the cooking studio was primarily sort of centered on plant based eating, and then you had the books that came with that. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. So, what what was it that sort of prompted you to get into plant based eating? Great question. Well, I I always had this fascination with vegetarianism from a young age. I had a best friend who was vegetarian. She had older siblings who were vegetarian. And something about it at, I think I was in grade six, I was like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> it just it just appealed to me for whatever reason. And it took me a few years before I actually entertained it for the first time, which was when I was 13 years old. I tried it on for a couple of years. My mom wasn't too happy about it. She was like, this is not right for you while you're still growing. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's change things up. So by, you know, 14, 15, I was out of that, but I still always kind of held on to the concept or the idea. And it was back in my 20s when I started to entertain it again. And that's also when I was going to the Institute of Holistic Nutrition. The conversation at that time, and we're talking 10, 
what was it? Yeah, almost 12 years ago now where vegetarianism, raw food, all that was really big. It was really popular. It was what Mm -hmm. teachers were talking about. It was what all the books were. It was what all the documentaries were about. So it was kind of surfacing back up. And I was like, this is my time. I'm going to do this. This is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to raise my family. I want to find a partner who's vegetarian. So it it just felt so right. So I just had this, yeah, this desire from a health standpoint and then the ethical uh, moral philosophies kind of came in that being an animal lover. And again, as I said, all those documentaries are coming out at that time. I was like, this is the way I got to live. So I did it. I jumped in and I felt great and I wanted to teach about it. I was able to feel amazing. I was thriving. I was getting results with some of my people who were coming to my cooking classes. They started to change their diet, eat more plant-based. They were feeling great. And I always focused on healthy plant-based eating, you know, lots mm-hmm. of vegetables, lots of good fats, some whole grains, you know, good protein. So it was always a very balanced approach and it served me and served my business because it, that, that did set me apart as well too, from some of the traditional cooking classes that were out there from some of the bigger schools that offered, you know, classes, there wasn't something that was exclusively plant-based. So it was just nice to have that and be able to right. offer that in the city of Toronto. Right. Yeah. And I think you're, you know, you're spot on. Um, nowadays, things have obviously shifted a little bit, you know, the landscape has changed and whatnot. And we'll sort of circle back to that in a second. Um, so, so something that I've observed, and perhaps you can get your insight on this, you know, I, I think that plant based eating does work for a lot of people in the beginning, right? Um, you know, and I always look at it and sort of say, well, what would happen if you just cleaned up your diet? You know, no matter what style of eating you, you did, you know, you, you take something like the blood type diet, right? Where, you know, people sort of poke holes into that, or there's a lot of people who just, you know, outright don't agree with it. But everyone that goes on the diet gets well, you know initially and i swear you know looking at those food lists i swear it's because people are just going on a clean diet so no doubt what you were teaching people in the cooking studio you know if they were coming off a kfc mcdonald's diet for example or you know just trying to clean up their diet and then you stick them on a plant-based diet they're obviously going to feel good in 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 the beginning i mean is this something that you've observed as well because we'll talk about how your how your health sort of took a turn um but is that something that you observed Well, with me, it was interesting because I felt like I was always a healthy eater, whatever that definition of health was, like even if I was following the low fat and, you know, the the low carb, high Mm -hmm. protein, because I was really into the fitness phase before this, like when I was in kinesiology and health sciences, I was obsessed with calories and protein and I was starving my body in a certain way, but I thought I was nourishing it with protein and a lot of packaged foods and a lot of powders and a lot of bars. So I was coming from quote unquote you know, a healthy mindset to a way healthier, balanced approach. So I didn't have the process thing going for me. But what I felt, what I found is that once I started not caring so much about, you know, the the quantity of my food and really focus on the quality and rounding things out with the vegetables, my body found this natural balance. And that's when it really kicked in for me when I became vegetarian, because I took out all the tuna and the chicken and the whatever, all mm. those proteins I was eating. And some of them were pretty bad quality. It was out of like a, f- you know, f- the freezer. It was just lean grilled chicken. And I was like, this is good, but it's filled with <laughs> sodium and it's filled with who knows what else. So when I started eating more whole foods and brought in the plant-based foods, I just, I think I just 
got all those micronutrients in and started to feel so nourished. So I upgraded an already healthy diet. But what I did find with a lot of people who attended my classes was exactly that. They were coming off of a processed or a very low nutrient and, you know, high wrong kind of fat diet. And they started realizing that vegetables are plentiful and they're really easy to work with and they're really economical and they can start to attain their health goals eating this way. So that is definitely what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, th- I think we'll, we'll definitely sort of come back to some of those issues, but, um, or some of those talking points, I guess. W- one thing that I found is, you know, a lot of people, they sort of initially go on these diets, whatever the diet is, it could be paleo, it could be whatever. And then they run into problems with sustainability, right? Um, so, you know, can I maintain this way of eating? And there's obviously a lot of caveats we'll, we'll dive into. You know, one is, is it super restrictive? You know, can I actually do this? The other one is, initially I feel better, but as time goes on, I, I, I don't feel better. And I think that that's kind of what happened to you, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, exactly. So, like, it took... T- time, it did take about seven years for me to, you know, have some of the shifts that I experienced. And it was, it was really interesting starting to kind of wake up to that and see how my body was responding. Cause initially it was amazing. Like I felt great. And I was the picture of health. I was a great representative of my cooking classes. <laughs> I looked the part, I felt the part. And then when I kind of hit the bumpy road, it was a really interesting journey to kind of go through those motions and see, okay, what's not working. But I didn't think it was my diet at first. So it was, mm. it was really eye opening. Yeah. So, so, so perhaps expand on that a little bit more. Like what did you, what started happening? I mean, what, what health issues started cropping up? My digestion was the first one. So before I became vegetarian, I had some digestive issues and then they seemed to kind of fall into place. So I was pretty good for a long period of time. So when it started to creep back in, I was like, what's going on? I was feeling a little bit bloated, a little bit off. It just, things weren't digesting as well. Then I started getting a couple like little patches on my skin that were itchy behind my head on my skull and in my ears. I was like, okay, this is kind of funky. And my energy just started to kind of slow down a little bit. I just didn't feel as vibrant and as energetic as, as I once had been. So little tips were starting to kind of creep in. Nothing was over the top. I wasn't sideswiped where I couldn't get out of bed, but it was little clues because I was so in tune with my body that were starting to tell me that something is not right. And because I've always been very proactive about my health, I've been seeing practitioners for years as well. So I I regularly had blood work done. So I had a naturopath looking at my blood and looking at my urine and my saliva and saying, okay, there's some things going on. You've got a lot of undigested food in your body. Your hormone levels are a little bit off. Your thyroid's a little bit out of balance, but let's focus on the adrenals. So there was all these clues and he kept hinting at me to explore the possibility of maybe bringing some animal protein back in. And I'm going to work on the supplement side. You need to work on the energy side and the mindset, but maybe think about getting some animal protein. And so I just, I, that took about two years for him to say that to me over and over. I'm like, uh-uh, <laughs> not my diet. There's no way I've got this down. I'm the healthiest vegetarian. Like I know that it's not my diet. So it was, it was really interesting when I started to see my biological levels and I could look at my live blood cell um, analysis with him and see my blood. And he's like, okay, look, there's this going on and this going on, you know, take it or leave it, but we need, something's got to give. So I let that seed plant for a period of time before I was ready to entertain 
bringing in animal protein or changing things up. And it wasn't just that conversation. It was luckily thanks to my podcast, The Ultimate Health Podcast, and having multiple conversations like this with different experts and different people in different realms who had a similar experience as me. And I was like, Hmm. wow, okay, this person went through this. They were raw. They were vegan. They ate this way. And then things shifted. And I heard that maybe three or four times before my mind started to open up to the idea. I'm like, okay. I can give this a go. Let me let me think about this. So I tried eggs. <laughs> I was like, I'm, you know, I actually started to crave eggs. It's funny how like something gets planted into your head and then maybe a couple months later, you're like, oh, maybe I should have an egg. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. tried it and I didn't notice a, any dramatic difference at that point, but I just felt nourished by eating eggs. And then slowly I kind of kept going. I tried fish and then I tried chicken. And then it was just really, it was a really interesting journey. No doubt. I mean, and and there's a. I got a few big questions which we can chat about for a bit. You know, the the first one for me is what you, you know. T- give us a, a bit of a walk through your mindset. You know, how are you feeling? Because the reason why I bring this up, I'll just sort of preface this. I know a lot of you folks listening out there. Um, you know, off air, Marty and I sort of spoke a little bit about this. How people are wrestling with dogmatic approaches to nutrition, right? So you've got your favorite blog or you've got your favorite speaker or author or whatever, and they've researched things and they found this one specific way of eating and people will lock on to this way of eating regardless of how they feel, right? So even if your health starts taking a turn for the worse, you know, um, like Marnie's experience, you're you're reluctant to open your mind and try other things. Um, And I think that vegetarianism and veganism probably encapsulates that the most because there's such a strong ethical component that drives that way of eating. So um, coming back to the question, you know, take us, uh, perhaps you can expand on your mindset. You know, was it a big decision? How did you really approach that? Uh, Because obviously including animal products, again, there's that ethical component. Right. Yeah, no, I can now zero in on everything I was saying is that, you know, even though I started eating eggs, there was a big decision to be made there. Like I toyed with it, like there would be an egg in front of me and I'd be like, I don't know. Like there's a lot of self-talk that goes on in that moment before you take that first bite. And I had to really kind of tune into my body and see, okay, I'm going to try this, see how it works, see how I feel. And if I actually like it, if I don't like it, then A, I won't eat eggs and maybe I won't Mm -hmm. continue. And B, maybe there's a whole other approach I could take, but I did. I actually enjoyed it. I was like, this feels good. I really actually miss eating eggs. And and then it, it took me a while. I thought that was it. I thought, you know, eggs was the only thing I could bring in and that felt safe because I wasn't eating flesh because that kind of kept me in check with, you know, my ethical values at the time. I felt like I was still could stay vegetarian. <laughs> so that kind of kept me in a safe spot before, you know, it took a few months before I started to entertain the idea of eating fish, which was a very hard one because I made a vow to myself I wasn't going to eat any kind of flesh or any kind of fish. And that's, again, just a conversation you're having with yourself, but there's not really a reason as to why. Mm-hmm. You know, well, maybe there is. Maybe I'm like, oh, you know, it's just not fair and, you know, fish are you know, don't deserve to be eaten or I don't need that nutrient. I can get omega-3s from something else. There, there could be all this background noise. But when I actually started listening to my body, I remember the moment distinctly. We were actually out at a restaurant and I turned to Jesse and I said, I think I want a piece of fish tonight. Like there's just something in my body just said, I'm going to try this. And so there wasn't a lot of thinking there. I just went for it and I ate that piece of fish and I felt it in my body. I actually felt my brain Mm -hmm. light up. I felt like these oils were coming 
in in a way that I hadn't experienced in a long time. And I was like, A, this tastes good, better than I thought. That I, you know, I, I was quite surprised. And B, I feel good on this. So this works. So fish was very safe, mm. another good approach. So I kept that going for another few months. And I, I stopped myself before chicken. I'm like, uh-uh, not gonna do chicken. <laughs> if I'm gonna do it, it's only good. You know, like, so each each level that I went up in the animal protein world, it was a, a big conversation. But I started it started to get easier each time because I was realizing I was getting certain nutrients and nourishment that my body was needing. And I was getting the reaff- uh, reaffirmation from my naturopath and my blood work saying that this was moving in the right direction. So when you have kind of that positive stimulus and feedback coming in, it helps to change your mindset. It helps to make things a bit easier. It helped me to learn that my body needs this nourishment more than I need to tell myself that this is not fair to the animals or this is not the way I planned on eating for the rest of my life. I had to really tune into the here and now and look at this food as a supplement and look at it as something that was going to help and heal me. If I wanted to throw it all out the window in a year from now, fine, I could always go back. But let me try this out. Let me see how I respond. And it was it was moving in the right direction. And it was over yeah. the span of like two years. It was a very slow transition for me. Some people, you know, might make a change and do it overnight. But for me, it was a, I needed to go slowly. I needed to learn. I needed to adapt. I needed to feel things out. And it was, so the transition started intuitively that I knew something was wrong. And it wasn't until later that I actually got a diagnosis of having Hashimoto's that confirmed that I needed to change my diet. So it was all very serendipitous and really interesting how it all played out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, uh, you know, illness is a great teacher, right? If we if we open our minds to it, and uh, it, it can teach us so much, which I'm sure you've learned a ton um, in this yes. experience. But I, I want to just sort of um, ask you a couple questions here. If you look at statistics, um, and you know, I'm not here to bash vegetarianism or any way of eating for that matter, because um, I think everything has its pitfalls. And, and I do 100% agree with you that people really need to start dialing into what their body needs right instead of what the blog says or what my neighbor says or anyone else but um if you look at the stats uh the last stats that i've read um i think it's 84 percent of vegetarians at some point go back to eating meat or animal products and i think with vegans it's around 74 percent. so my question for you and without putting you on the spot here is do you think that vegetarianism is sustainable <laughs> it's an interesting question because <laughs> once a real, upon a real time, interesting I, question. Because <laughs> I once upon a time I believed it was. You know, I wrote a whole book about it. I had the whole case in there that there was no need to ever eat animal protein ever again. But it goes to show that not only can you change, but your scope of knowledge can change and your understanding of it. Does it mean that what I'm about to say right now is the right answer? No, but it's what I believe because you're asking me this, and I do believe that it's not sustainable. I believe that, Mm -hmm. you know, or let's just say maybe vegetarianism could be, but veganism I don't think is. And, you know, vegetarian potentially. But I think that there's ways for people to keep a balanced vegetarian diet and even start to entertain upgrading that over time. But with what I've learned with when it comes to reproducing, when it comes to autoimmunity, when it comes to, you know, preventing certain diseases – I believe that having a little bit of animal protein in your diet doesn't have to be a lot can really help the body repair itself and build the building blocks that it needs to sustain itself. And 
again, I, I, I st- you know, I'm, I'm happy for something else to come out in a couple of years to, to prove me wrong. But, you know, I've kind of come full 360 on this and I believe that we do need animal protein and I've, I've seen it for myself and I'm still in my journey. I'm not fully on the other side of it where I can say, oh my gosh, like I'm fully healed ever since I brought, you know, bone broth in, I'm on the other side. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in it. I'm in the thick of it right now with my Hashimoto's, with my autoimmunity, with what I'm going through. But when you see the lab work change like that is, and it's not just all about the lab work and the science. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I believe in so many other things and we can talk about the lifestyle factors that have played a role in this as well. But when the labs do show you a change in, uh, in your results, it's, really eye-opening and really rewarding to see that you finally have moved the needle in the right direction. Right. Well, especially if you're feeling the difference as well, right? Yes. I mean, you know, that that so it's a combination of feeling. And, you know, one thing I do like about lab testing is that it's 100% objective, you right. know, where if someone's telling you, oh, you know, you look better or you look like you feel better, um, that's just someone's subjective opinion. Whereas, uh, obviously, a lab test is, is 100% objective. Yes. You know, h- here's how it is. So um, just sort of staying on point here. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. And again, when you look at those numbers, and I'm just going to throw a curveball out here as well, the numbers are even higher for people on ketogenic diets, right? So 91% of people on keto diets go fall off ketogenic diets because I think mostly because it's just really difficult to maintain on mm-hmm. the day-to-day. Um, you know, I don't want to unpack that any more um, that, than that. But I mean, I think what I'm getting at is oftentimes these very extreme diets um, you know, people get into them for different reasons, but what we're starting to see is that I would say none of them are really sustainable in in the long run. And so this is sort of why I've always considered myself a flexitarian. You know, I've gone through periods of being vegetarian, um, gone through periods of being paleo, and now I kind of, you know, sort of found my happy place. But uh, I think uh, another question here, which is um, probably on everyone's mind listening to this, you know, you ran a cooking studio, you wrote books on plant-based eating, and, you know, that was shouting it from the rooftops. Was there any backlash, if you will, for lack of a better word, when you decided to switch over to more of a paleo-style diet? Like, did, did people sort of give you the skew eye or anything like that? A little bit. Yeah, I was really I was really intimidated about sharing about it openly. So in my cooking classes, when I was starting to make the transition behind the scenes, I had people coming into my classes and saying, are you vegetarian or are you vegan? And I was very honest and upfront and say, you know what, I've actually started including this and this. And this was, I'd say, in the last two years of the food studio. So it's towards the end of the chapter. Um, but it was kind of the, the social media announcement that mm. I had a lot of fear around because people don't know you. You can't have a conversation. It's just this, you know, this vision of who Marnie is and what she stands for. And now she just posted an egg or she just posted, you know, this. So I remember that first picture that I was posting that I was kind of sharing that this is now part of how I'm eating. And I would say that the positive response outweighed the negative, which was surprising, but the negative was definitely there. I was very happy to see a lot of people saying, wow, I feel the same way. I've been thinking about this and oh my gosh, you've been my inspiration all along, but I've been thinking I need to add in more animal protein and I didn't know how or if I should. So I kind of gave them that nudge to do that. And then I had, of course, people saying, what do you mean? You are the vegan girl and you are supposed to eat this way. That's why I follow you. I've just changed my diet because of you. What are you doing? So, you know, there, uh, that was just to be expected. So overall, it was more positive, which I was very happy about. And then I just kind of let 
the rest go. It's like whoever wants to stay on board yeah. and support me and be part of this journey, great. Whoever doesn't, goodbye. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, and kudos to you. And, and I 100% agree and, and, you know, really applaud you for that, because I'm sure it must have been very difficult. Uh, you know, the internet and social media is unforgiving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's exactly why I'm actually having you on this podcast, because I know a lot of you listeners out there are perhaps feeling like this or experiencing this. And the challenge that we have, you know, especially if you build a business around, um, certain things that are very, very narrow in focus, or you pigeonhole yourself. And now mm -hmm. I am going to sort of speak to the nutritionists out there. You know, I've said this for years in my classes. If you're a clinician, if you're a nutritionist, if you're a dietitian that's counseling people, um, do not just preach one dogmatic way of eating for everyone, all right? Because there's still people out there, you know, you build a whole business around keto or you build a whole business about raw vegan and then your health suffers. And at some point you're now wrestling ethics and health, you know, you're wrestling your own health with the way that you eat, but you got a whole business tied to it. So, you know, that's exactly why I wanted to get you on the show because, you know, I love the way that you actually sort of let that go, broke out of it, mm -hmm. and just shifted into a different realm. And I think, obviously, you know, for you, moving out of a cooking studio into a podcast is is a slightly, you know, well, completely different environment in that sense. Um, you know, I right. kind of wondered to myself, what would have happened if you kept the cooking studio and then started teaching people how to cook paleo? Yeah, exactly. Well, you, it's you interesting know, you say that. <laughs> yeah. And another thing, too, that I want to mention is that even though – Yes, I did build my business around plant-based eating and anyone who kind of knew what I was doing in the community, you know, whether it's the vegetarian society or whatever I was doing, like knew that I kind of stood in that realm. But I always made sure that my website and people who came to my classes knew that it was open. A majority of people mm. who actually attended my classes were not vegetarian or vegan. So I always tried to keep that messaging, although from the outside and definitely through social media and through people who may have just bought my book or whatever it was, have this vision that that's only what I stand for that I am never going to look at someone who eats animal protein. I, I never put myself into that category where some people unfortunately get to where they just, you know, will shame you for, for eating yeah. that way. So even when I give yeah. talks publicly, I always said, if you eat animal protein, please choose this. If you eat dairy, please choose this. I never said you are disgusting if you eat animal protein ever. I never said that. So it's just, what's so interesting though, is that the perception that people had of me was exactly what you're talking about, where I was pigeonholed through perception of that's mm -hmm. the way that I was. So, you know, even when I started to incorporate eating animal protein, I did exactly what I had always talked about. It's like, I chose the sustainable, I chose the ethical, I did it in a healthy, approachable way. But, you know, people will look at you like, what are you doing from the outside? So it's just an interesting perspective just to say like where people view you versus where you, you know, were trying to keep that that knowledge in a very open-minded, um, mm -hmm. inclusive way, which is what I always try to do. What happens with a lot of people is you sort of put yourself out there, um, you know, this is what I'm doing, this has changed my life, blah, 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 everyone should do the same thing. And then you're sort of forced to either be open minded and shift, or you, you double down and you just sort of like dig your heels in and defend your position regardless. And I'm finding that a lot of people out there are doing that now, you know, they're, they're just defending a position, defending a way of eating, whatever it is. And, and there's no sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And what this is doing in the greater sort of health and wellness space is it's really polarizing people and sort of putting people into different camps. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Absolutely it is. I, I think that there's a huge conversation around that is that people just get so attached to the idea or the concept without really tuning in to what their body needs. And even if they are inspired by someone, whether it's a book or someone who's on a podcast or a certain figure in the health realm, they might be, you know, inspired by their journey and their story. But at the same time, you still have to try that on for you. And you have to really realize that it, there is no camp. Like there should be no camp. Like there is a no, way exactly. of eating that, that serves everybody. And, and there's so many commonalities between the benefits of eating plant-based and eating paleo that, you know, fall into so much. And then there's a few little differentiations. And I, I do find that it's funny that you brought up with the cooking classes because it was very serendipitous again at the time that I was, I was not only realizing that I didn't want to teach anymore, I wanted to kind of shift into the online world and I want to focus on my health, I want to get out of the city, but if I did stay the course and you know renew my next five-year lease and keep teaching, it would have completely flipped over. I would have Marnie Wassman's like, paleo studio right now, 100%. So <laughs> a totally different message, a totally different new energy, and you know that would have been great. It just would have been this whole new rebranding. But, uh, but it's funny that you bring that out because I've thought about that many times. Yeah, no doubt. So, so now, you know, let's sort of bring us um, into what's happening right now. Um, you mentioned that you're still sort of in, you know, maybe coming to the tail end of Hashimoto's, um, which for those of you who don't know, is an autoimmune disorder. Um, what have you, you know, are you sort of strict paleo now? Like, what does your diet look like? Um, what changes have you noticed? Yeah, so it's it's kind of in the paleo-ish realm that I like to say is because more or less like I I follow some of those principles, but I don't again carve myself into that box. So one of the first things that I did when I started changing my diet, not only did I include animal protein, but I took the grains out, which was huge for me. And it's something that I realized after doing some digging was something that was playing a huge role in affecting my health. It was affecting my gut, which was why my digestion was kind of going awry, which was why I was having undigested food particles in my blood. So a lot of that kind of made me realize that this key and very large staple of my diet needed to be removed. And when it did, I felt so much better. So hmm. Bean, uh, sorry, grains are out. Beans came up for a period of time. Now I can have a little bit of chickpeas or hummus here and there. I'm not, you know, so I, I do well on them. Okay, um, once in a while. So my diet comprises of a lot of root vegetables, animal protein, bone broth, collagen, tons of veggies, tons of good healthy fats, a little bit of fruit. So so much of what I was already eating is still there. It's just kind of those two areas where the grains came out, the animal protein came in, and and I upped my fats quite a bit. So that's where my diet mm. stands. And then as far as my Hashimoto's, it's, it's in this place where at first I really tackled the autoimmune component of it because although it affects your thyroid levels, you also have you know, a lot of inflammation in your body and you really have to tackle your immune system. So luckily I was able to work with a functional medicine team who took a bigger look at what, like what else was going on with me, not just my blood work. They looked at my gut health and my urine and my hormones. And then we were able to tackle things one step at a time. So we did a huge redo on my gut and brought my inflammation levels down. So that was step number one was getting my antibody levels down. And now I'm in the phase where we're working on my thyroid hormones, specifically the T3, T4, trying to get those guys in balance. 
Wow. Um, sounds very interesting. I mean, that's my wheelhouse. Um, I deal a lot with gut issues, with autoimmune, and of course with hormones as well. They all kind of ball together most of the time. Um, so so that that's interesting. Uh, you know, and just a couple of comments from my side. You know, we see a lot of people when they switch over to a vegetarian diet, um, you know, from whatever diet they're on right now. And usually what happens is we drop out the animal proteins and we increase the grains, right? Have, have you noticed that? Like we increase the grains, we increase the beans because we need more calories. But what happens is we just increase carbohydrates like big time. And so we tend to sort of um, drop down on, on the proteins. And, you know, a lot of people, so what you did was essentially just flip those around, you know, so drop out the grains, reduce the beans, increase the animal proteins and uh, voila. But do you feel, I mean, you obviously uh, on your podcast, you've spoken to a ton of um you know, health professionals, authors, and so on. Are you finding that it's uh, th- that it's becoming quite common now that people are reacting to grains and that they're causing a lot of inf- inflammation? Yeah, there seems to be you know a very unanimous conversation around not only going gluten free, which is definitely step one for a lot of people, but going grain free. And when it comes to thyroid issues and Hashimoto specifically. I have not come across one person who's talked about Hashimoto's on our podcast that hasn't said going grain-free is going to help get you into remission, is going to help your antibody levels, is going to help your gut. So that that has been consistent. And and then again, I felt it. I felt the difference. And it's mm-hmm. it's amazing how you know, something that you can't foresee. I really could never foresee. I remember when I was still teaching my cooking classes and grains were part of my classes, people were starting to talk about paleo, the grain-free blogs were starting to pop in. And I was like, uh-uh, nah. <laughs> like, I, I just wouldn't. <laughs> I, like, I remember having a lot of IHN students um, from the school that you and I both went to. They would come to classes and talk about the teachers who were talking about paleo and the importance of going grain-free. And I just like stood my ground. I was like, no, there's no way that this key you know, uh, macronutrient and category of nutrition needs to be removed. There's so many ways to focus on it and sprout them and cook them. And there is for some people, some people can really tolerate them. Okay. If they are prepared properly. And I I do want to add that in, but for the way that a lot of people are consuming grains, which is multiple times a day in different forms, and often they're not either sourdough or sprouted or germinated or cooked properly, it's wreaking havoc on your gut. So I find that specifically if you do have Hashimoto's or an autoimmune condition, taking that out is going to help the process along significantly. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, what I find interesting, um, you know, a couple of points that you brought up here, um, you know, when I was in school and even when I started, when I first started teaching at the school, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the poster of the four new food groups, do you remember that, that poster? Yeah. It had the, 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 the fruits, the vegetables, and then it had the beans and the grains, right? And, right. and, and that, the, those were the four food groups. Like we should just go with that. And so I remember, you know, first getting into, and that's actually when I became vegetarian because I was like, oh, well, you know, if these are the new four food groups, I'm going to give it a go. And I noticed after about about two and a half years in, I was like, man, I'm just not feeling a hundred percent. Like I'm just not doing good. And I don't know if it was the grains that were the problem or what the issue was. I personally think it was a lack of protein right. and it was the, the lower, lower amount of fats, um, you know, especially the saturated fats coming from animal proteins. Um, but, but, but here's an observation and perhaps you have some insight on this. You know, there's a lot of talk now about lectins in grains. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, le- lectins sort of binding to body proteins, causing inflammation. But 
I have my suspicions that a lot of people are reacting to glyphosate or Roundup in the grains and in the beans. Because, you know, again, dial the clock back. I mean, when you first started um, going vegetarian and eating whole grains, I mean, we've all done it. Um, A lot of people still are. People were not reacting the same way that they are nowadays. Right. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just so many people now that are like, even pea protein, like in supplements. Totally. I can't handle pea protein, gassy, bloaty, whatever. And 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. And so, you know, um, longtime listeners of the show, you will know that I've done a lot of podcasts on glyphosate, on GMOs. Um, I've got another one coming up. Um, actually, will have already aired. But uh, last week's podcast with Jeffrey Smith. And so, yeah, I, I wondered, I mean, have you sort of dived into that? Have you explored that topic at all? Well, it actually makes me think of Europe, too, and going to other places around the world where people are able to eat the grains and not mm-hmm. have a problem where there's not the same issues with glyphosate and GMOs in certain regions. And people can go to Europe and go to Italy and, and go and eat the bread and feel fine. And these are people who are gluten-free and avoid it. So, you know, what is what is that telling us? So I, I do think that there's been a shift in, in our crops for sure over the years. And I think that plays in 100%. And it could be both. It could be neither, like with the whole lectins. Right. You know, it's it's so hard to say. I'm sure there's some components of that 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 holds truth, but I do think that there are some workarounds, like cooking it properly and reducing some of the phytic acids. Or if you really take care of it, cook, pressure cook your grains, you might totally be okay. But you can't remove, you know, some of the toxins that are that are coming in. Totally, with, with yeah, the crop, totally for sure. So yeah, I do think there's definitely validity to that. Yeah, and uh, it's it's. I mean, obviously, a, an interesting conversation, and it's a much longer conversation because you know you just think about historically um, whole cultures. You know, I mean, if you think about South America, if you think about India, um, the whole of Southeast India, China. I mean, th- th- very much um, grains and beans. You know, historically speaking, and people did not have autoimmune disease. I mean, people did not have the issues that we have nowadays. So, yeah, so one has to wonder, you know, I mean, you've got, uh, I think you've had on your show before, uh, Dr. Gundry, right? Mm -hmm. Who, um, you know, his whole, his whole thing is really speaking about lectins in plants and, uh, and and in foods. And um, a lot of those uh, grains and beans, you know, those are sort of high lectin foods. But yeah, uh, um, anyway, you know, just an an interesting conversation and uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. So, um, just, just to sort of bring us into the close here, um, what do you feel, and, and I'll shift, uh, do you have any more comments, lastly, on, on anything that you're doing or on the paleo movement um, before I move on? I think there's just more and more research coming out showing the different ailments and diseases and ways of living that people are feeling such profound differences by removing grains and by limiting their beans and by upping their protein and their fats and switching around their macronutrients. I think there's a lot more research in that category. And you you brought up keto earlier too. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the more extreme version of, of paleo, if you want to even say that. But it, it is, and it is extreme. And it does work for a lot of people for a short period of time. And it's, you know, if it appeals to people, great, try it. But I do think it's something that's not sustainable long-term, as we mentioned. It's something that should be cycled and should be approached with caution, especially women. But, uh, but I'm finding kind of that paleo-ish, grain-free way of eating. Not only is it trendy now, but people are really feeling the the profound effects of it. And they can still be predominantly plant-based, which is nice. Like I'm still very much plant-based. And 
I think a lot of the conversation is going towards that the protein on your plate does not need to be big at all. It needs to be yeah. just a small portion of the plate. Get the plants on there. Get the roots on there. Get the fat on there. And and you're good. And then, you know, you're, you're just winning all the way through. I just feel like if you just keep plants a priority, you're always going to thrive. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I'm so glad you actually brought it up because it's something I was I was going to mention, but I totally forgot, um, is, you know, the, the idea of paleo. And I, I think that even a lot of the vegetarian and vegan crowd, when they think of paleo, when they think of keto, especially, you know, you see people just eating giant plates of bacon and eggs every day, you, you know, that that's breakfast. And that's really not the right way to go about it. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and this is resonating with you and you've, um, you know, been thinking about shifting, I think Marnie raises a really good point that, you know, half of your plate should still be vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not saying to go like heavy on the meat and forget about all the plants. Because um, I think a lot of people do that, no? For sure they do. Yeah. And they, they think yeah. that that's the way to go, just like when Atkins was popular and that was a whole different approach where everyone was just eating like a, a whole chicken, like a whole chicken for a meal <laughs> and no veggies. So now at least there is a conversation of bringing the veggies in, but not just bring the veggies in, make veggies the the focal point of your plate. Like that right. is, and, and a couple different kinds. Like I never not have at least two or three sides. Like I need multiple sides on my plate and it just it it keeps things exciting it gets some differentiation you can make extra and have it for the next night so yeah just keep plants the priority um so a bit of a curveball just uh came came into mind and perhaps you don't have a good answer for this but what are your thoughts you know i've I've had a few people on the show and i've I've brought this question up um in different contexts uh, along the way but what how do you feel about children um, in terms of, you know, going grain free or, you know, because kids just, there's just so much energy and they're just in such a rapid growth um, phase that, right. you know, I mean, I got a three-year-old and, and a 12-year-old and my 12-year-old, you know, she's pretty good. She's very flexible. But my little guy, I mean, that kid will just, you know, gluten-free toast. He wants carbs. Like he just wants carbs and he's, he's growing. So I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have you spoken to anyone about, you know, are there implications for lectins in children or grains in children? Like anything on that? It's a great question. We haven't Specifically on the podcast, we haven't dug too much into that. My intuition says that, you know, and as I go into this phase, hopefully very soon, raising kids and everything. So I I intend to raise my kids with not only animal protein, which at one point I thought it was going to be vegetarian, but Mm -hmm. I think that starting them off without any grains, kind of following that nourishing traditions, you know, really with the root vegetables, still giving them their carbohydrates. It doesn't necessarily have to be from grains. So like avocado, bone broth, and smashed up sweet potato and squash. And then maybe as they're a little bit older and in their, you know, early early years, like toddler and into their four, five, six, seven, bringing in some, possibly some of the gluten-free ones. I think that would be a safe area to intervene and see, you know, how they do want a little bit of rice or gluten-free toast here and there. But I don't think it needs to be the staple that a lot of parents think that it needs to be for kids, where it needs to be like a bowl of, you know, pasta for dinner or the healthy version of Cheerios for a snack or whatever it is. I, I don't think it needs to be that, but I still have yet to do my research in this area. So I can't come at this from, I figured it out. I'm still learning, but that's just kind of where my intuition goes and what I would see myself doing. 
Yeah, and I can tell you as a parent, uh, it's really challenging. Um, it's it's difficult on many fronts, and you know I spoke with uh, Joy Joy McCarthy about this at length, mm-hmm. and you know I think for because I, I also don't want to create any panic, uh, you know, especially among listeners and and our community, it's not really about um, you know again that dogmatic approach. I think you know if you just want to peel it right back, giving your kids organic non GMO food that's clean, um, you know, trying to diversify the diets give more variety i think that's a good starting mm-hmm. point um but i am very interested to sort of see you know is anyone looking at what happens to kids you know like because mm-hmm. it's really hard to put them on a paleo style diet like let me tell you right. i've tried and i tell you it's it's so so hard yeah um, and there's with, so much out of your control kids. too you know with school and right. friends and yeah exactly you know school and they're picky eaters and it's just you know you land up making four different meals because your partner's on one way of eating you're on another way the daughter the son you know it's a, all of a sudden your whole life just gets consumed by making food three times a day um so so anyway um not not to labor over that point but i just think it's it's an, it should be an interesting topic um if and when people really start looking at that yeah um so just to sort of bring us into the close um what you know this is really stepping outside of our discussion here but what have you noticed you know since you're running uh, one of the top podcasts you speak to people every week what are the sort of um health trends if you will that you're finding are gaining a lot of traction? Like what are people really, really interested in these days and talking about? I hate to bring it up again, but keto. <laughs> people are loving the keto conversation no matter what. So it, it's it's always, it seems to be like this timeless topic lately where it's definitely the most searched out topic. And even though we've brought it up quite a few times in the conversation, I'm, I'm ready to close that chapter and move into another realm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's very popular, but another area which has my interest and what I'm really loving right now is mindset and mindfulness and yeah. Yeah. Um, really kind of slowing down and realizing that life is just so much more than just what you're doing every day and the career you're trying to build, that it's actually about slowing down, reconnecting, getting present. And we've had a lot of that conversation on the show from the beginning and more so now. We're getting more and more guests who are even, you know, really big in the health space who have had huge influence over certain dietary frameworks or whatever it is, and they have a health crisis, and then they come back in it from this, okay, you know, let's get present with where I'm at. I've started to meditate. I've started to scale back. You know, I'm, I'm not always focusing on the hustle. Now I'm focusing on my family. So I'm really loving this conversation too, because it's what I experienced as well. Just kind of pulling back from the hustle of running a business to slowing down, focusing on my health and healing and creating my schedule the way that I want it to be. So I think that's a really trendy conversation. It's not really a specific topic, but it's definitely a conversation. Right. Right. And I think it is important, you know, I mean, uh, even just for people who are not in the health and wellness space, uh, you know, we, we're, we're just finding that the pace of life is just picked up so much. We're bombarded with information overload, really. And, you know, social media is another platform where we're you know people are comparing themselves and everyone's got the perfect life on on facebook when in reality life isn't all that perfect you, you know we, we've got right. to deal with the ups and downs and so um yeah so i i've also started to see that a lot more is people just becoming more conscious of things people you know one of the things that i'm sure you've observed and i've observed it you know at length 
is people in the health and wellness space really burning out trying to help other people. Mm-hmm. Which, which is just so counterproductive to what we actually do. And so I also had to make that decision, you know, a few years ago. And I said, look, I've got multiple businesses on the go. Like I've got a lot of stuff on the go. But at some point I have to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, you know what? At five o'clock, my computer's off and I'm done for the day. And I'm not going to answer emails on the weekends and so on and so on. And I found that that doing that is actually really help me to cultivate more sort of work-life balance and be conscious of, of what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. For um, sure. Creating those boundaries is, is essential. Mm-hmm. Well, Marnie, I'm going to um, wrap things up. So I uh, just wanted to really say thank you so much for being so open and, and honest. And I'm sure many of you listening to this, um, you know, <laughs> If it's not resonating now, it might very well resonate at some point in the future. And uh, I want you to be open-minded and flexible enough to not, um, well, let me, let me frame it differently. I want you to be open-minded enough to embrace other possibilities, right? And if you're not feeling well, if your health has taken a turn for the worst, uh, I think come back to this episode and listen to some of the things that Marnie shared with us uh, because there might be something there for you as well. So Marnie, any final words from your side? Um, well, one thing that actually just came up with for me is another topic that's really popular too is is gut health and the microbiome. So I just want to mention that mm. while I think of that because I think it's a really important area that stems into so much else. So I'll leave it at that. But other than that, thank you so much. You know, it's it's a pleasure to speak with you. I would love for people to check me out at marniewassman.com. From there, you can get to my podcast, the Ultimate Health Podcast, and follow me on Instagram at marniewassman, where I am always sharing recipes, tips, inspiration, and what I'm up to. Awesome. And uh, for those of you listening, check out the show notes. Um, I'll put all of those links there for you. And as always, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider subscribing, leaving us a review, and of course, sharing this with your friends and family so that I can keep bringing more awesome guests like Marty. So Marty, thanks very much. Thank you so much for having me. And you folks out there, uh, you have a beautiful day wherever you are. <laughs>